Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Hiva, and you are in for a real fucking treat today because because we have a good episode. We it's I think it's gonna be fun. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I had two big bottles of green juice before recording today. So I think I think I will stay energized the entire time. My dog is outside the room just like trying to not trip over the cords for the lights. And yeah, I don't know. Oh my god. Hey, can you control her? Um Sorry. Um, yeah, I was like really terrified that she was going to trip over the cord and then send the light crashing into me and just really dismantle our whole production here. But no, what's good? We're great. Um, anyway, <laughs> I hope you guys are doing well. Um, I want to say there was so much good feedback on last week's episode, which is great because I actually, as much as I love the subject, I didn't think it was my best work because... I just started fading throughout it because I was just hungry. Um, and that's never great and it's never my favorite thing. But here's what I fucking love about you guys. The number one thing that I got feedback on was the ghost poo and the number of people who DM'd me just saying congratulations on the ghost poo blew my mind. I mean, when I say we the you know you guys the audience and me are simpatico this is the shit like this is we are you know when I put up if you follow me on Instagram you know every Tuesday when the new episode drops I put up these like uh you know promotional stuff like this is the episode this is what we talk about yada yada I always write every week we even though it's usually just me out here talking and sometimes I wonder like hmm is it weird that I'm writing we even though it's just me and is it coming off like the royal we but the reason I say we is because I feel like we're in conversation together you know I mean technically you're not here in the studio with me talking on a mic but you might be talking out loud in response to me as you're listening to the episodes. And if you're not talking out loud, you're probably thinking in your head. And we're we're all just kind of on the same page and the same wavelength. So it is like we are talking to each other. So anyway, thank you so much for congratulating me on the ghost poo. I don't think I've had one since um, unless we're counting not actually pooing, in which case... I have expertise in this subject. No, but my guts are doing way better. I'm actually um down to two magnesiums a night. And I was taking mm, a lot before. A lot, a lot, a lot. So I think when I started the taper, I was taking more than 11. Like sometimes more than 11. Usually 11. But if I had had like a really big meal, I would take more than 11. So to be down to two is... I'm I, I'm ecstatic like I could not be more proud of myself and yeah and I, I I think I'm uncovering 
the solution to chronic constipation. So stay tuned for that. Um, but no, I'm, I'm really proud of myself and I'm really happy and I'm feeling so much better in every single way. And I mean, there's a lot of factors to that. It's really all the nervous system stuff I've been doing. So if you haven't heard me talk about it, like ad nauseum, I'm coming out with a nervous system regulation course because your nervous system is so closely linked to really all of the factors that affect your relationships, including but not limited to attachment theory stuff. Like there's such a strong connection between attachment styles and nervous system states. And we're going to get into it in the future on the pod, but it's actually mind blowing. But no matter even, you know, taking attachment theory out of it, just think about it like this. Like when you're in a dysregulated nervous system state, like if you're just easily triggered, like you're in that place, we've all been there where like you stub your toe and you fully lose it. Like one thing that used to happen to me a lot is, you know, I'd be running errands and I have like reusable grocery bags and I, when they're full, I like have them on my shoulders. And if a bag were to roll off my shoulders and fall down, I just fucking lose my shit. Or back when I had wired headphones, I remember like if I was carrying a lot of stuff and then something gets caught and the headphones pop out of your ear, like it just fully fucking lose it. That's nervous system dysregulation. Like these aren't normal responses, you know? And when you're in that state, you're not really a pleasant person to be in a relationship with. Like you're more irritable. Your relationships have a lot more conflict. And so just regulating your nervous system is such a big effect on all of your relationships, especially because there's so much co-regulation that happens. Like our nervous systems affect each other. So if you're dysregulated and you're around someone who's regulated, it can help you become regulated, but you also might be making them more dysregulated. So all of those things are true. And then on top of that, if you want to do kind of the deeper subconscious type of work, That really requires first regulating your nervous system because it isn't until you are in a state where you feel safe that you can actually work through your unprocessed traumas and release them and things like that. So nervous system regulation is really first and foremost before doing any sort of inner work at all, in my opinion. Like I think it should be. It's kind of like, you know, when you go to college, And sometimes like some schools have certain classes that you have to take before you can take anything else. It's like um, law school, right? Like you have to take Civ Pro before you can take other things. Um, You know, you have to do first grade before you can do second grade. You have to regulate your nervous system before you can do anything else because it's really not going to be very effective. And so as I've been doing research for the nervous system regulation course, really like, I mean, I would say I've been working on this for years, but for the past year, I've been a lot more intentional and specific. And then the past few months specifically, I've been going really, really deep into nervous system stuff. So everything that I'm researching, reading about, yada, yada, I'm testing out on myself. And so I'm doing so much to regulate my nervous system. I think this is full circle, right? I was saying that I feel better. And I I, th- I think that's why. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think that's where this started. I honestly can't remember. But anyway, um, And a lot of that actually involves gut stuff because gut stuff is so tied to your nervous system and it's this ongoing cycle. So if you're in a stressed state, you're not really going to be able to poo effectively because your body is like, well, if there's some kind of massive stressor going on, like pooing really is not the most important thing right now. Like if you were being chased by a lion, (laughs) your body's like, yeah, not really the time for a bathroom break. Let's go ahead and run from the lion instead. And so you really have to regulate your nervous system to be able to poo. But then it's this cycle because the more constipated you are, the more it's throwing off your nervous system. And so it's this ongoing cycle. I actually have this terrifying story. So you guys might remember I was in a boot. By the way, this is not what we were planning on talking about today, just so you know, <laughs> but, um, but whatever, here we are. Um, I, as you might remember, I was in a boot um, at some point, at some point in my life. I can't remember when, <laughs> somewhat recently, maybe a month or so ago. 
And so I've been in physical therapy for that. And my physical therapist, who is, uh, I love her so much. She's so fucking amazing. Um, If you need physical therapy in New York City, check her out. I think her name is Afrikia Woods. I think Woods is the last name. I could be wrong on that. But just DM me for the rec and I'll send you. Like, she's amazing. Like, I'm obsessed with her. She's so, so knowledgeable and so great. But we just randomly were talking about my constipation because, like, I can't help myself. Like, I, the way that I behave, like, the way that I interact with people, like, the way that I'm so comfortable talking about poop, genitalia and sex with anyone like anyone like this past week Ozzy and I were out also if it's your first time listening hello and um my boyfriend we call him Ozzy on the podcast that's not his name he's from Australia it's a nickname it's duck it's a long story it's hard it's actually not that long of a story okay like I think every girl kind of does this when you're in the early stages of dating especially if you're kind of dating around and stuff you just kind of give the boys a nickname right like you're not out here or girls or people you know, whoever you're dating. Um, but I, you know, especially when I was dating a bunch of people, like I would just give them all nicknames because I'm not going to tell my friends all of their names. Like it's just too many to keep straight or you, or whatever. Like it's just more descriptive if you have nicknames. And so especially in the early days of the pod, when I was dating around and talking about these guys on the podcast, I sure as shit wasn't going to use their real names on the podcast. And so I had all these nicknames. His was Ozzy. And now we continue it really for no particular reason. I mean, I am kind of protecting his identity still, but it's not like he's, you know, <laughs> I was going to say a celebrity, but not one came to mind. <laughs> okay, It's not like he's Justin Bieber or something like it's not that deep, but whatever. It's just kind of fun. And it's 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 what we do now. Anyway, um. <sighs> What was I saying? Oh, Ozzy. Okay, so this past week, Ozzy and I were out with some of his coworkers, and it was actually four couples, and it was so fun. But um, one of the couples is from the UK, and um, they were just in town for a few days, so that's why we were getting together. We went to the edge; it was really cool. But um, <laughs> so Ozzy's coworker's wife, the UK couple, she's actually Brazilian. And so when I introduced her, I was like, hi, I'm Hiva. And she's like, hi, I'm, and I can't even remember her name. It was like Vigilia or something. Um, but you know, I'd been drinking and it was loud and I couldn't really hear her. So I asked again and she's like, oh, you can just call me Gigi. Or just such a cute nickname. And the first thing that I say to this person, complete stranger, the first thing that I say to her is, oh, when I was growing up, my parents used Gigi as a nickname for like genitalia, both like male and female. They just called it Gigi. It's not an actual Persian thing. Like no other Persian people say it. I, my entire life had no idea where it came from. And I don't even know why we're spending so much time talking about genitalia in my childhood but like we really like we would just make a lot of joke like does this explain why I am the way that I am because now that I think about it we really were making a lot of jokes about genitalia in my household growing up but um but I mentioned it to my mom the other day and she's like oh your brother said that when he was a little kid that's where that came from like we didn't make it up like your brother said it and I was like oh my god how adorable so yeah like literally the first thing I said to this stranger was like oh your name is what my family called pussy hi nice to meet you um but no it's super cute and I love I love the nickname Gigi I think it's adorable um anyway literally how the fuck did we get here um I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, thank you so much for congratulating me on Ghost Poo. Oh, yeah. And, you know, things are flowing much better. Oh, and on that note, super random. But a few weeks ago, my friend was like, hey, this is so random. And I don't like I 
but I'm noticing it every time I have sparkling water, I poo every single time. So I don't know. I mean, it sounds random. I don't understand how it could work, but try it. And this was right before Ozzy and I went down to DC for my niece's birthday. And so I remember when we first got there, when we were at, like, we went to dinner with my parents. It was my parents, my brother, my sister-in-law, and my two-year-old niece, super fun, and Ozzy and me. And when we got to dinner, they were like, do you want Stiller Sparkling? And I was like, hmm, let me try this out. So I had sparkling water and I actually did poo a little in the restaurant, which is amazing. Um, And ever since I've been drinking sparkling water, which is something that I've avoided for years, because I think back in like now that I think about it, I think the origins were back in my eating disorder days I was so terrified of anything that I thought would make me like bloated or my tummy distended. And I had in my head that sparkling water did that. And I do think some carbonated things actually can do that, but I don't think everything does that. So I've been drinking a um, natural spring water that's sparkling, that's full of minerals. The one that I have is, um, hold on, I'm going to look up the name. Because I can't remember. Um, it's like Gerald Steiner or something. Hold on. It just popped up. Gerald Steiner. I think that's how you pronounce it. Of course, like I want to pronounce everything German. So like Gerolsteiner, but I think it's Gerolsteiner. It comes in a chic, chic, chic glass bottle. They carry it at Trader Joe's for cheaper than they have it at like Whole Foods and stuff like that. And it's natural spring water and it's full of minerals and the carbonation is natural, which I don't actually fully understand how that works. And it's funny because we were at dinner talking about mineral water and um my sister-in-law was saying that my brother didn't believe her that water can naturally be carbonated like from the spring and and then they looked it up and he's like oh okay yeah I guess this is real and then like three days later Ozzy who was privy to this conversation we're talking about it and he's like I just don't understand like the, there's no way the water is naturally carbonated like how could it be sparkling like by nature and I was like were you not there for this entire dinner where we had this whole conversation and he's like no no, no I know but the more I think about it it makes no sense and he's right it does make well this he raised two very valid points he's like if you leave carbonated water out, it loses the carbonation. So like how like how quickly are they like bottling it? Like is it just bottled on site? And then I forgot his second point, but that was a valid point. And yeah, I don't understand. Should we look it up? Should we look it up? Because, you know, we're journalists over here. I'm going to look it up. Okay. How is natural... Um, I don't know, water sparkling. <laughs> I don't even know what Google words to put in. Um, okay, let's see. Medical News Daily. Sparkling, okay. Okay, so to artificially carbonate water, pressurized CO2 is injected into the water-forming bubbles. Artificially carbonated water may naturally contain minerals or have minerals added to it. Okay, that's fine. Um, wait, hold on, hold on. Sparkling or carbonated water forms naturally when volcanic gases dissolve in springs or wells of natural water. This naturally occurring sparkling water often contains minerals such as sodium or calcium. Okay. Okay, so I think that kind of um answers the question, right? So it's it's from volcanic gases. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how they bottle it. I don't know. We're going to do that another time. I mean, <laughs> okay, should we move right along? <laughs> okay, so 
I have been working really, really hard on updates to the Blush Academy. As you all know, the nervous system course is coming. But before that, there are some updates that I've been wanting to do to the attachment styles course for a long ass time now. And they're finally done-ish. Well, they'll be fully, fully done by this episode airs, I believe. Um, I believe, unless I'm like hit by a bus or something, in which case, please send flowers. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Um, but I've been working on new guided meditations for the Blush Academy. And there are four new ones. And I'm so fucking pumped. I've been doing them all weekend. And they are so good. Like my jaw is on the floor. Like the way that I'm a genius when it comes to this subject. And do you guys remember when I was in, I don't know, like the third grade, there was this poem that we learned and performed or something. And it was this poem where this person is going on and on and on about all the wonderful things about them. And the last line is like, and of all my wonderful traits, I like my modesty the best or something like that. I always think about that poem whenever I say something that's very, I don't want to say narcissistic because it's not narcissistic. Like it's not like that's a medical term. It's not narcissistic. I just, it's, um, big ego you know it's it's uh full of yourself it's self-centered isn't it funny how growing up oh maybe you guys didn't experience this maybe this was a unique experience to me I don't know but growing up I feel like one of the worst things that you could have been called was like conceited or full of yourself and it was kind of an insult that was thrown around a lot and I'm talking elementary school like early elementary school like we were always riding people for being like oh my god she's so conceited like she's so full of herself and It's not really a problem that I encounter in my adult life ever. Like I'm never like I it's so, 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 so rare to meet someone who you're like, wow, that person's really full of themselves. Like it's just not really a thing. And I wonder if kids kind of heard rumblings about this from adults And then really started being awful to each other about like just being confident and being self-assured. And so we've now beaten the confidence and self-assuredness out of each other because I think most people I meet could use being a little more full of themselves. Like most people are kind of like insecure and don't want to ever praise themselves or speak highly of themselves. And it is a problem for most people, you know? So I wonder if that's the, I don't know. Anyway, so (laughs) I've recorded these new guided meditations. And honestly, it's kind of a misnomer to call them guided meditations because they're really more like hypnosis. Like that's really what it is. And then I was thinking like one comment I constantly get on TikTok is like, how did you move to secure attachment? And like, how did you do this? And like, how did you get that? And I always try to explain it. But honestly, the really simple answer is through hypnosis and visualization. And I feel like I've never really taken the time to explain what these things are and how they help. So yeah, I wanted to kind of give an overview of how hypnosis and visualization can help you go from insecure attachment to secure attachment, how they can just help you be happier and more at peace and more at ease in your life to have more conflict-free relationships in general, relationships of all kinds, feel more confident, be less triggered, be less irritable, just be the best version of yourself that can show up to your life and your relationships and your job and yourself in the best fucking way possible. And there are different forms of this. But one thing I just want to say, when you hear hypnosis, like you might be thinking like, you know, the cheesy old school there's a guy on a stage and he pulls someone out from the crowd and they come up on stage and, you know, she closes her eyes and he waves things in front of her face and says things and abracadabra and she starts barking like a dog or like pretending she's a chair or, you know, rolling around, (laughs) falling off the stage. I don't fucking know. You know, that's not what we're talking about with hypnosis. And in fact, I don't 
think there's any real evidence that any of that shit is real. I think, I don't know, maybe I, I, I listen, I don't know how it works at shows. I've never been to a show like that, but maybe it's just, you're just doing it because you want to make them happy or maybe, um, they're, uh, those people are in the crowd because they're part of the show. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that works, but I don't think there's any scientific evidence that anything like that is real. I think maybe if you're just like an extremely, um, what's the word? Impressionable. Is that the right word I'm looking for? Impressionable kind of person. I don't know. Moving right along, but that's not really what we're talking about when we talk about hypnosis. And on that note, I just want to say when I talk about visualization, I'm not talking about like cheesy manifestation, like visualize your house in Malibu and the BMW in the driveway. And then before you know it, you'll have it. There's also no evidence that just pretending that you have something is going to make it magically appear. All of this shit is kind of hocus pocus. I don't know. Maybe it happens here and there, but like, I don't know a lot of people who like sit around visualizing getting like a million dollar checks in the mail and then it happens. I just, I don't have, I, I don't know, maybe it does happen, but I don't think that that's rooted in science and that's not what we're here to talk about. What we are here to talk about are forms of visualization that actually are rooted in science and have scientific backing and are shown to be effective. And I think there are five different uses or um, forms of this that I'm going to talk about. I don't know. I haven't counted it yet. I think there's five. I'm not entirely sure. But it really, at the end of the day, points to the very strong connection between our mind and our reality and in not again in this cheesy bullshit like visualize it and then you have it kind of way but really truly rooted in neuroscience and neuroplasticity which is the concept that our brain is malleable and can change at any time and one example of this that I love is we used to think that the four minute mile was impossible. Doctors, scientists would say that the four minute mile is impossible. It's impossible for a human being to run a mile in four minutes. Now it is impossible for me to run a mile in four minutes. In fact, it's pretty much impossible for me to run a mile at all, but that's neither here nor there. Um, But there was someone who did it at some point in human history, I can't remember when, um, you know, in the 1900s. And ooh, how Gen Z of me to call it the 1900s, but it was the 1900s. And then within six months of someone doing it, another person did it. And since then, it's been like 60, 70, 80 years. I think like hundreds, if not thousands of people have broken the four minute mile. And it's because they like when everyone thought that it was impossible, you just thought that it was impossible. But as soon as one person did it, it actually rewired our brains into thinking that it is possible. And then it became possible for so many people. Again, these people are in much better shape than me because for me, it's still beyond impossible, but that's neither here nor there. Now, That's just an example of how our, like what goes on in our brain really can affect what goes on outside of our brain. But we're going to talk about how like we can't just like sit around and wait for someone else to do something and then we figure out that it's possible for us, right? Instead, we're going to take the reins, we're going to take control of the situation and use visualization to rewire our brains. So the first way that you can do this is to or like the first way that you can use visualization to improve your relationships is by releasing trauma. And something you really have to remember to understand this is that our brains will always prefer a familiar pain over an unfamiliar pl- pleasure. And that's kind of rooted in, you know, that expression, the devil, you know. So our brains, even if something is 
awful, even if it hates it, even if it makes us so unhappy, our brains will always seek that out, which it knows, because what it doesn't know could be worse. And at the end of the day, our brain, our nervous system's only job is to keep us alive. It's not to keep us happy. That's our job to do. Our brain is really hardwired to keep us alive. And so if that thing that you endured that is so sucky, that may have even nearly killed you, it didn't kill you because you're still here and that's all your brain sees. So it's like, well, we're here. We're still here. I did my job. And so if this thing, this awful, painful, disastrous thing still kept this bitch alive, then we're going to do it again because the alternative might kill her. And my job here is to keep this bitch alive. And so it will always, always, always seek out what it knows, even if what it knows is awful. So keep that in mind. The other thing that I want you to keep in mind is that our brains will often seek out corrective experiences. So if you had something kind of traumatic that happened to you, your brain might seek out a similar traumatic experience so that you can negate it, so that you can get something else from it. That might explain why you seek out the same type of fuckboy over and over and over again, because you're hoping this time it'll be the time where you get kind of the closure that you wanted from it. Actually, I have this very um, nice example of a corrective experience that worked. And this is way before I did research into this stuff, was conscious into this stuff. Like this was a very unconscious thing that happened for me. But, you know, I grew up in a household with a dad who was extremely angry and would yell and fight a lot and just easily triggered and just had a very bad temper. And I was always kind of into older guys, which like I'm so not anymore. But I realized when I was 20, I dated a much older guy, like a guy who could have been my dad. He wasn't as old as my dad, but he could have been my dad. Um, And this guy was so the opposite of my dad in every way. Like he was so calm, so chill, just like a water up a duck's back kind of person. Like he just, nothing could face him. Like I could burn his house down and he'd be like, eh, whatever. Like just so chill. And I, now that I have this knowledge, I recognize that dating him was a corrective experience for me. It was someone who could have been my dad, but his temperament was so different from my dad. So I kind of almost had this experience, this corrective experience of having a father-like figure, not to get too gross because we're literally fucking, um, who was so calm and so chill. And after that, I completely stopped being attracted to older men because I think I got that corrective experience. Again, I wasn't conscious of it. I didn't realize, I didn't even realize, like, like I did kind of surmise years later that dating him is what like gave me the thing that I needed. And so I no longer needed to date older men, but none of it was done consciously. Anyway, that's what a corrective experience is. And then the last thing that I want you to remember, and this is the good news, is that our brains are very malleable. That's what neuroplasticity refers to. It's just like it's insinuating that our brains are plastic, which is not even the greatest analogy because plastic isn't um, the most malleable (laughs) like substance that I know. (laughs) Like (laughs) Play-Doh is a lot more malleable but whatever. Um, But you can reshape it. You can build in new neural pathways. So if you currently have some neural pathways that are like wired around this certain type of trauma and then you keep attracting that same type of trauma, you can build new neural pathways that loop around something else so you you attract that type of experience, right? And so I do want to kind of talk about um, attachment stuff. For a bit. So basically, when you have an insecure attachment style, that is a result of unprocessed trauma. So it's the result of not having the type of childhood that you actually needed. And it's a little bit different for everyone, but there are kind of basic principles of a secure childhood. But basically, your parents weren't able to attune to your needs really well, and that yielded an insecure attachment style in adulthood. So the way that you can use visualization to get you there is by releasing that trauma, those traumatic memories, and that then rewires your brain. Okay, let me give you a more granular example. And this is less about um, attachment stuff, but 
I have always kind of felt like I'm so socially inept. Like I like to the point where I sometimes wonder if I'm like on the autism spectrum because I'm like I'm so socially inept that the only possible explanation is that I'm autistic. Now I will say I was on the autism TikTok algorithm for a while. So I think that really fucked with my head and I had to do a lot of research in it, but that's neither here nor there. Like I just always felt like I was so socially inept and I was constantly in these situations where people would misunderstand things that I said or did, or like think that I was doing things in a malicious way when I genuinely, genuinely was not. And I'd end up getting in a lot of trouble. And I remember this was like a while after I discovered this type of hypnosis and stuff. There was this incident. Basically, there was, it's hard to explain. Okay, so there's this girl, we'll call her Hillary, who I was really, really close with in law school. Like she was one of my best friends. And um, Hillary's now husband's best friend's younger sister, we'll call her Anna. Um, So I met her at Hillary's wedding. And I'm trying to think of how to explain this story. Okay. So Hillary and I were super, super close. And then she kind of just like dropped me as a friend right when I was going through the hardest time of my life. It was when the comedian and I broke up. I was doing all this inner work, like Every like all of my childhood traumas had come up and like I was so deeply anxiously attached that this breakup literally felt like death to me. Like it was the worst time I've ever been through in my life. It was so dark. I also had just quit Adderall. Like I was super depressed. I was like going in and out of suicidal thoughts. I mean, I was going through and I was also like really being confronted with my eating disorder and trying to stop that. It was, I mean, a time of absolute upheaval for me. And she just kind of like stopped talking to me because she... I don't know, because like honestly, because of her own shit. We've talked about it since. And like the reasons that she was upset with me, like honestly, I can say we're not justified. <laughs> like there's a lot, like there are a lot of times where I'll cop to being a bad friend, but her shit with me, like what like truly was her projecting her own insecurities onto me. It was basically she was mad that I never introduced her to the comedian. Which like there was like really no specific reason I never introduced her to the comedian. There just wasn't an opportunity like that. That's it. But I think she internalized it as like me, like she, like, like I think her own insecurities came up and she's like, what am I not cool enough or good enough to meet like your D list celebrity boyfriend? And I was like, okay, first of all, he's like a Z list celebrity. Let's, let's get that clear. But, um, but yeah, it was just like kind of crazy. And there were a few other things like she thought that like I implied that she shouldn't be getting married, which I did not at all. Like in no, like in no way, shape or form. Like I actually think her and her husband are perfect for each other. So yeah, I don't know. It was kind of unhinged, but, and, instead of talking to me about all these things, she literally just stopped talking to me. And it was during the time in my life where I was going through the hardest time ever. Anyway, so her and I stopped being friends, but I still would talk to Anna sometimes on social media. And before Hillary and I stopped being friends, she had mentioned that she's not talking to Anna anymore because like she thought that Anna was like making a move on her husband or something. I don't know. I have no idea. But she had mentioned to me that she like doesn't like her and she's not talking to her anymore. And so when Hillary and I stopped being friends and Anna and I would still talk sometimes, I just assumed that her and Hillary, Anna and Hillary didn't talk anymore because a, Hillary told me that they're like not friends and that she doesn't like her and doesn't want to talk to her anymore. And B, I just assumed if the two of them were friends that Anna wouldn't be talking to me anymore. So like this, like it, I think I was, I mean, whatever. But I, I can tell you, like you guys know I'm so honest with you. I can tell you I genuine, genuinely, genuinely believe that. And then at some point I said something to Anna, I forgot what I said, but I just like made some kind of like shady joke about Hillary. And she's like, wait, what are you talking about? And I really don't remember exactly how this played out. But basically what I said was something I would have never, ever, ever said to her if I thought that she was still talking to 
Hillary, but because I thought the two of them didn't talk at all, like I just thought we could kind of talk shit. Like, so I'm not saying my intentions were super pure and noble. (laughs) They were to talk shit. Like that is what my intentions were. But what my intentions were not and the way that they were received by Hillary and Anna was that I was trying to cause a rift in their friendship. Again, I didn't even think they were friends anymore. (laughs) So like I would have never said it. In fact, I don't know that I would have been talking to Anna at all if I thought that they were friends, but I sure as shit wouldn't have said that. Um, And again, I don't even remember what it was. And the way Anna yelled at me, Hillary yelled at me, and Hillary's husband, all three of them called me raging out at me. And I was like distraught. And I was like, I'm the worst person in the world. And it took a while for me to be like, wait, my intentions were not what they are making them out to be. Cause they were like, you're just trying to get us to not be friends. And I was like, no, I'm not. Like I, th- I thought you already weren't friends. <laughs> Why would I be trying to get you to not be friends if I thought you already weren't friends? And I can tell you like, because I can look back on it, that is the honest to God truth. And so when that happened, I was like, okay, where is this coming from? Like what, like Because this is a familiar feeling to me. And so I was like really getting granular on what like what the underlying energetic is and what the underlying energetic was, was me saying something other people misunderstanding what I'm saying, probably because like I wasn't you know, communicating well or whatever. I'm not even saying it's their fault that they were misunderstanding, but whatever. And then me getting in trouble for that thing. And so I was really trying to trace it down. And I realized I had all these childhood memories of the same shit happening over and over and over again. So I kept tracing it back to the oldest version of this that I can think of. And that's when I went um, shoe shopping with my, like our family friends and her kids. Basically, like at some point when I was a kid, my parents had these friends who had three kids who, like they had three daughters who were all pretty close to me in age. So I would hang out with them all the time and our parents would hang out and stuff. And growing up, I had extremely narrow feet. And one time my mom and I were at the store and there was this pair of shoes that I was looking at. And she's like, no, you can't have those shoes because these shoes are made for people with really wide feet and you have really, really narrow feet. So it wouldn't work for you. And so then I'm shoe shopping with this family friend and her three girls and they were looking at those shoes and Okay, what I meant to say was something like, oh, I love those shoes. My mom won't buy them for me because like my feet are too narrow. Now, I don't think I said it like that. I think I said it and I was like six, by the way, six, seven, something like that. I think the way that I said it was like, oh, like my mom's like not dumb enough to buy those shoes for me or something like that. Like it was something and it was in Farsi, so it doesn't translate well, but it was kind of insulting. And the way that this lady raged out at me and yelled at me for being like so stupid, so incompetent, like so socially inept. And so ever since then, I've had this thing looping in my brain where I'm like, I'm so socially inept. I don't know how to talk to people. And again, keep in mind, our brains prefer familiar pain over unfamiliar pleasure. So my brain is just constantly seeking out these other experiences where I kind of put in my foot in my mouth, but it's not like the way it's received is so not how I intend it to be received. And then I get in a lot of trouble. Okay, so does that make sense? Now, here is where hypnosis and visualization comes in. So I then took this experience and I took it through kind of like a self-hypnosis session where first I really get myself into a theta brainwave state where your subconscious mind is more malleable and upfront. And then I pull up the incident and then I do something to neutralize the emotional wounds. Now, what I... Um, really like to do what works really well for me and what I have in the Blush Academy and our guided meditations is um, some form of bilateral stimulation 
to really neutralize the emotional intensity behind it and you might not want to do bilateral stimulation by yourself at home. You know, I've done a ton, a ton, a ton of therapy and I've done EMDR with a practitioner where they help you do that. And so I feel comfortable doing it on by myself at home, but you might not want to do that by yourself at home. I don't know. Use your judgment. Talk to a mental health professional. Anyway, um, so first I do that and then I kind of rewrite the memory while I'm in that deep hypnotic state. So I tried it a bunch of different ways before it stuck. But with this memory, what ended up really working for me was me actually like, or or, no, no, no. It was um, instead of the mom kind of getting mad at me, her being like, hey, what did you mean by that? And I said, well, you know, I have really narrow feet and my mom wouldn't buy the shoes for me because the shoes are like better for people with wider feet. And she's like, oh my God, that's so funny because I thought you meant something else, but like no big deal. Done. And that took that emotional wound away. It actually helped me release that trauma. So it was no longer looping there. And then I wouldn't find myself in these situations anymore where I was being misunderstood and getting in trouble for that. So that's an example of how you can use hypnosis and visualization for trauma release. Um, it also, you know, you can use it for like more specific attachment stuff. For example, if you have anxious attachment, it really is the result of your parents being misattuned to your needs as a child. But what I most often see with anxious attachment is that parents weren't fostering and nurturing your natural need for independence. So I see anxious attachment a lot with kids who came onto the planet as very independent children, but they had parents who were kind of helicopter parents, like maybe were really strict, um, were really afraid of you getting hurt or get like being affected in any sort of way, or just like maybe were a little overly affectionate in a way that you didn't actually want to be. But because they're your parents and your survival depends on them loving you and being there for you, you're always going to kind of do and acquiesce to your parents' needs. And then what you like, your brain kind of receives the message that any sort of separation from my attachment figure is dangerous and it could lead to death. And then you grow up and your attachment figure becomes your romantic partner or the person that you're dating. And so any sort of separation from that person then sends your brain into spiraling that this is life or death. Okay. So like one type of traumatic memory for someone with anxious attachment might be um, something like wanting to do something on their own and their parents not letting them do it on their own. So then you could use this tool to go into that memory, pull it up, neutralize the emotional intensity, and then visualize your parents being like, oh my God, yeah, please do it by yourself. You're so great. You're so good at everything. You're so independent. You're so amazing. And then you have that corrective experience in the hypnotic state. Does that make sense? So that's one way that you can utilize it. Another way that's really um, closely aligned is you can use visualization to literally reparent yourself, like give yourself a fully new childhood. And that really um, works well with the attachment stuff. So again, if you have anxious attachment, you likely had parents who in some way were not fostering and nurturing your natural independence and self-sufficiency. So you can go through and visualize in a deep hypnotic state an entirely new childhood, maybe with entirely new parents who really were fostering and encouraging a sense of independence in you. And keep in mind another tenant here about neuroscience is our brains can't actually tell the difference between something actually happening and something happening, so like you visualizing something with great detail with the emotional intensity behind it. So if you do it over and over and over again, like when you start doing this, you start building this new neural pathway and the more you do it, the more you strengthen it. So you can visualize an entirely new childhood for yourself. It's actually really fucking crazy. One way that I did this, um, after my breakup with a comedian, I realized how 
afraid of breakups I was and how much like I didn't want to ever break up with anyone, even when I was in relationships where I was really, really unhappy and I didn't actually want to be with them, I would still stay with them. And I realized there were a bunch of reasons for this, but one of the reasons was because I grew up in a very, very strict household where dating, romance, none of these things were okay. Like to the point where I remember when I was a kid and we'd watch TV if there were people kissing on TV, my parents would look away from the screen because like it was not okay. You know, again, Middle Eastern kids will probably understand this. Um, So like beyond not being sex positive, it was like, extremely frowned upon, like extreme, like any sort of like love, dating, connection, everything. So what I did at that point was I used like hypnosis and visualization to reparent myself. And I like picked these very like kind of progressive, um, evolved kind of parents. And I visualized an entirely new childhood, like every different stage of development of childhood where my parents were just very sex positive and very open and would constantly say things to me like, oh, you know, you're going to date so many people. You're going to have so many boyfriends and like, that's okay. And that's totally fine. And as soon as you're not happy with someone, you can break up with them because like, this is what life is about. So it really took away that notion in my head because I think I used to have this thing where it was like, well, once we fucked, like this better work because I don't want to have to like fuck another person and like add another person, like have my number go up my, um, what's it called? Like a body count, like have my body count go up, you know, but doing that type of reparenting, like visualizing that type of childhood, I started feeding my brain these new neural pathways of being like more sex positive and being more open and not having so much shame around having like fucked, you know, more guys than I want to admit or whatever, you know, that started to melt away. So that's one way that you can use visualization. Um, Another thing, like a few years ago, I think this was like kind of early into dating Ozzy, but not, um, not like it was early into dating Ozzy, but after, you know, the initial dopamine rush had worn off. And there was a moment where I was like, wow, like I would like a little more affection. And so instead of like voicing it with him first, I actually took this to my hypnosis work. And so I visualized, I realized my parents were never affectionate with each other at all, like not even a little bit. So I visualized a childhood where I had parents who were really loving and affectionate with each other. And then the way that I energetically, because like my brain was rewired, now I was showing up slightly different. I was showing up as someone whose brain was primed for more affection. And that just naturally changed my energy. And Ozzy started being way more affectionate with me without me ever having to voice anything with him. It's because like my brain state had completely changed. So it's actually really shocking. Like when you think about it, everyone kind of knows that all of our issues stem back to childhood. So if you can give yourself a new childhood just via hypnosis and visualization, then you can change where you are now. And one thing I really teach in the Blush Academy and the um, Attachment Styles course is how to give yourself through hypnosis and visualization the childhood of someone who would have secure attachment. And by doing that, you're now laying the neural groundwork for secure attachment. And when you repeat it over and over and over again, you're really strengthening that neural pathway. And that's why I really like people to be in the Blush Academy for a year, because you really have to repeat this process over and over and over again. It's like any sort of muscle, you have to train it. And so you really have to train your brain to get there. Another way that you can use like hypnosis and visualization is, um, is 
like for communication and getting closure and things like that. Um, sometimes you don't really have access to closure. Like there are so many times where we think we want closure and actually having that conversation doesn't even get us far, but sometimes you really don't have access to it because like maybe that person won't talk to you or maybe you don't want to cross that bridge or like, you know, like open up dialogue with this person. Like I had this after Van Guy and I broke up a while after we broke up, I realized I still had a lot of resentment towards him because I feel like. I don't know. I felt like he just like lived in my apartment and like wasn't paying rent and it just was kind of like bossy and rude to me and like all these various things that I didn't like about him. And I realized I had all this pent up resentment. So instead of like, I didn't want to contact him and talk to him because I just didn't want to open dialogue with him really. Like I was dating Ozzy. I was really happy and I didn't want to give him some sense that like maybe there could be something between us ever again in the future. And so instead I used hypnosis. I got myself in a nice theta brainwave state. And then I visualized sitting across from him and saying all of these things to him and really like digging in in a way that you could never do with a person, you know, like you can't just say like really mean shit to a I mean, you can, but you probably shouldn't just as a citizen of the planet. But because like it was happening in my own visualization and he was never receiving this, I could really dig in and say all of the things that I really wanted to say. And it's funny because doing that, I realized that actually my resentment wasn't towards him. It was towards myself. I was mad at myself for dating him for as long as I did because like I didn't actually want to be with him. I just was upset because things had fallen apart with Ozzy and I like that's who I was mourning. That's who I wanted to be with. And instead I was using Van Guy as a distraction when I that's not what I actually wanted. And like, why the fuck did I let him just stay at my place and just like be an asshole to me sometimes? And, you know, but at the end of the day, it was like that that I had, which was with myself. And so a lot of times when you actually have these conversations, you know, I just did air quotes, these conversations in this hypnotic state, you'll realize that you don't even need to have it out loud, but sometimes you have it and it helps you really like gather your thoughts and figure it out. And then you're primed to have this conversation in real life with someone. I've also done this with Egypt. I've done it with like former friends. Like it's really great if you need to vent or confront someone. Um, and like, again, it can really be used in situations where you don't actually have access to this person. Um, another really great way to use, um, visualization and hypnosis. Sorry, I was doing a stretch is to do mental rehearsal. Now, this is a fucking crazy concept, and I have two studies I want to cite on this. First, there was a study where people visualized every day for two weeks, they visualized themselves doing bicep curls, right? Every day for two weeks, just in their heads, they just visualized themselves picking up a weight and doing bicep curls, but they weren't actually doing this. At the end of two weeks, they measured and their strength had increased by 13%. And they weren't even touching a fucking weight. They just were visualizing themselves doing it. Another study, it was a piano study, and they had two groups of people. One group of people, they did five days of actually playing piano. They were doing chords and scales. So they were actually sitting there and rehearsing it. The other group was just visualizing themselves doing chords and scales for five days. And at the end of five days, they, the two groups had grown the same number of circuits in their brains for playing piano. They could do it equally well, whether they were actually doing it or just rehearse visualizing themselves doing it. That is how fucking powerful visualization can be. And so if you can use it for those things, like you can use it for so many things. So there's like really simple uses of this. Like, um, 
I will visualize myself doing things like before I started exercising, I started visualizing myself exercising and that got me to actually do it. You can use it for like eating healthy and like every morning visualize yourself making good food choices throughout that day. Um, I've used it recently. Like there were things that I'd been putting off a these updates to the Blush Academy. So I started visualizing myself doing the updates or I've been reorganizing the kitchen. So I started visualizing myself actually taking those actions. Those, those are really like interesting ways, but then it can really be used for dating and relationships. For example, if you're someone who's single and you don't want to be single and you're not actually like active on the apps, maybe you have a profile on the apps where you don't actually swipe and message and things like that. Start visualizing yourself taking these actions so that you actually start taking them. But where I really like using it specifically for attachment stuff is Finding ways that you historically have fucked up in relationships and visualizing yourself taking the opposite action. So for example, if you're someone who really spirals when you are waiting on a text and then it leads to you like starting to play games or like threatening to break up or just, you know, doing all of these anxious attachment protest behavior things. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's an episode of the Blush podcast from like September, October called like threatening to break up another anxious attachment protest behaviors. Go listen to that where I break that down. But you can visualize yourself like being in that situation and not being triggered and responding in a better way. You maybe if you're someone like me who historically like would be in these relationships that you don't actually want to be in, but have a really hard time breaking up and walking away from the relationship, you can mentally rehearse being in a bad relationship and leaving it, exiting, walking away. You can mentally rehearse breaking up with people if that's something that's a weak spot for you. If you have a hard time enforcing bad boundaries, you can mentally rehearse doing that. If you are someone who, oh, I love this one. Like if you're someone who, if you're with someone and there's silence, you get really uncomfortable and you start overthinking. You're like, oh my God, what's going on? They've lost interest that are not into me. Why are we silent? Like I'm not being funny enough. I'm not being engaging enough. They're not going to like me. They're going to lose interest. They've already lost interest. You can mentally rehearse being with someone and sitting in silence and not freaking out and staying calm and secure and confident. So it's such a fucking powerful way to use visualization. And then the last way that I really, really like is by facing your fears. And I think I talked about this a little bit in last episode, like just embracing kind of your worst case scenario and how you shouldn't be afraid of thinking negative things or whatever. Um, So... I first discovered the power of facing your fears when actually I was dating that old guy to bring it full circle to earlier when I was dating that old guy. Okay. Before him, I was always like, I had all of the anxious attachment symptoms, including being really like jealous and afraid of someone cheating on me and things like that. And just like always like wanting to like snoop and figure out what the fuck was going on. Right. I was always like that. And then, and I remember trying to trace back, like that was one, the one symptom of anxious attachment that I haven't had for the past like 10, 15 years. And so I was trying to figure out why and when that stopped. And I realized when I was dating that old guy, he actually did cheat on me many times, not to brag. (laughs) When that happened, I stopped being jealous and being afraid of being cheated on. And it's because something happened to me where I was like, okay, I have been cheated on now. And it's, it, I mean, it sucked. It wasn't great. It wasn't a great feeling, but I'm still alive. It's fine. It's not the end of the world. Like, I don't need to fear this so much. And so I really stopped having a jealous streak after that. And that's when I started to think, like, hmm, maybe there's something about facing like your worst case scenario that takes the fear of it away. And I started doing real research in it and it's such a real thing. So for example, if you are someone who's really afraid of abandonment, you can visualize yourself being abandoned by this person. And then you've faced that worst fear and it just kind of goes away. So those are the five-ish ways um Oh my God, sorry. I wrote something really unhinged. 
in my outline like it was one of those I was writing while I was talking so I wrote down the wrong thing random funny story but um years and years ago I went to this was back when I lived in DC I did all my grocery shopping at Trader Joe's and I was at Trader Joe's and I pulled up my grocery list on my phone and it said a bunch of things and then one of the things it said was frozen hair and I to this day have no idea what I meant but I know it wasn't an autocorrect thing basically I was writing frozen I was probably gonna write like strawberries or something but then I was talking to someone and I said something about my hair so I wrote down frozen hair Anyway, but just two things I want to say for proper vis- vis- visualization. One, you really have to be in a pa- parasympathetic nervous system state. You cannot be in a charged, activated, stressed, fight or flight kind of state for it to work. You really have to be calm. And the other is you really have to be in a theta brainwave state where you're more suggestible and your brain is way more malleable. Think of like the reason that they used to have infomercials late at night. Did you used to watch infomercials the way that I used to fucking watch infomercials? Like I just had such um, severe insomnia as a kid and I would just stay up watching infomercials all the time. Anyway, the reason they play at night is like your brain is more malleable, more suggestible. So you watch this and you're like, ooh, I want like a wheel with some handles on it to give me six pack abs. Like that sounds great. Let's do it. And then you fucking order that shit. So those two things are really, really important. And um, if you are a Blush Academy member, go check out the new content in the Attachment Styles course. It's so fucking sick. I'm obsessed with with these new guided meditations. Again, I shouldn't call them guided meditations because it really is hypnosis, but it it's so sick. Like everything we talked about in this episode is available in the attachment styles course and it's so good. I'm so fucking obsessed with it. Um, so yeah, go check it out. And if you're not a Blush Academy member, you can subscribe via the link in the show notes. And um and and don't forget to enter the giveaway if you want a chance at winning a free membership. All you have to do is leave a review on the podcast's app and either screenshot the review and email it to me at theblushpod at gmail.com or you can just leave your Instagram handle in the review. And at the end of the month, I will randomly select a winner and the winner wins a free membership to the Blush Academy where you get access to all these wonderful, wonderful tools and so much more. If you learned something, if you found this episode interesting, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Please share this with someone who you think would benefit from it. Put it in your Instagram stories. Put it in your dating app profile. Put it in your TikTok profile. Put it in your CV. Put it in your next job application. Just tattoo it on your forehead. Spread the wealth so that we can all be less triggered and more happy people who can show up to relationships better and not bring their baggage to relationships. Okay. Love you guys. We will talk next week. Bye. <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs>